I'm a judger. You guys are judges, right? You judge? Come on. Yeah, okay. I judge people who eat at Olive Garden. <laughs> I do. And then I judge myself when I eat at Olive Garden. Because I do. I judge, uh, I judge uh, bandwagon Yankee fans. If you're a bandwagon Yankee fan, I think 23% less of you right now. People who wear socks with sandals. Yeah. yeah. People who take up too much room on the sidewalk. Um, and then my worst one, I, I will judge you if your headphones are too loud on the subway. I just, I will judge you badly. Um, I judge a lot of things. You guys judge a lot of things? Yeah, yeah, me too. We're New Yorkers, right? We judge everything. That's what we do. Um, people who don't have glittering resumes, we absolutely judge them, right? Definitely. If you, if you don't know somebody who knows somebody who does something important, well, we judge you for sure. Uh, we, we judge you if, um, what, if, if you can't make it here and you have to go back to wherever it is you came from, we judge you like we've, we've made it. Right, we're here. We judge you if you can't make it here. Anybody? You have your New York judginess. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, we have it. Um, how many people grew up in the church? Who grew up in the church? We're all judges of the worst <laughs> kind. We're the worst. We grew up in the church, right? Uh, you know, there's so many of us who say, "Well, the, the way that person lives their life is not right. It's wrong." And and this is the way I think about scripture. And it's right, and you are wrong. And, and there's a few of us in this room right now who think that we're unscathed because we're sort of on the opposite end. We're like, "Oh, we're a little bit more liberal. You know, we're a little bit more socially conscious." Well, we're just liberal fundamentalists, right? Judging people on the other side. How come they think that's wrong when that's actually right? How come they have this view and this is the view you should have? We're all great at judging, especially if you walk through these doors today as a Christian. We judge people. Maybe, uh, maybe you don't go to church that often. If you don't go to church that often, somebody brought you here, and the reason you don't go to church is because you judge the church. That's sort of ironic. You're here today. Kind of funny. But anyway... We judge. How about people that aren't like us, right? People that don't look like us or act like us or who don't make as much money as we do. We judge them for sure. People who, uh, um, let's just, uh, you know, maybe have a hard to understand culture. The culture's hard to understand, so we judge, we judge them about that. Or, or maybe uh, they don't um, think the same things we think or have different opinions on politics or something, so we judge them. And right now, I know there's a couple of you in this room going, no, I don't. I believe in justice and I believe in equality for all cultures. To which I would say to each and every one of us, are you calling up that friend of yours who doesn't look like you, isn't the same age as you, doesn't make as much money as you? Are you calling them up to hang out? Or are you going, eh, they might not fit in with my crowd? Are you sitting at their feet? Are you listening to them? Or are you going, ah, maybe I have more to tell them than they have to tell me? The bottom line the bottom line is that we judge everyone. We have this like pride thing too. Uh, and so not only are we, are we judging, but we are right. And we uh, hold that rightness tightly in the palm of our hands. And we make sure that that is the case every time, all the time. It's who we are. It's what we do. We're a tribe. That's how tribes are formed, right? You, 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 it's based upon judgments, upon people who think the same kinds of things. And it's kind of evolutionary. It's, uh, it creates safety. And so it's okay. I mean, I'm not going to get completely down on us for judging today, but... I do think that if we continue to judge the way we do, if we continue to hold on to our pride, if we continue to um, not accept humility, then we're not going to live out the life that Christ wants for us. Well, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's go ahead and read Isaiah. Ben got to read it for us before. And so uh, this is what Isaiah 9 says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
Uh, I spoke two weeks ago, and two weeks ago, if you were here, I said that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the first 39 are just like scathing. Like just everything that Isaiah, uh, Isaiah is telling the Israelites, everything that they've ever done wrong, everything they've ever messed up with, everything that they've uh, always judged, everything they've always had too much pride about, he's just, he's just ripping them apart. And historically speaking, it's right around the same time that the Assyrians and the Babylonians are attacking Israel. Okay? Historically speaking, all this is happening, so the people are like, oh, we're bad, we're being attacked. And then all of a sudden, like, Isaiah comes up for air for one second. And he goes, but there's going to be a reprieve. There's going to be hope, okay? And the hope is going to come from Galilee, Galilee of the nations. So if you are an Israelite and you're hearing this for the first time, you think that Isaiah is completely wrong. You think that, like, he stuttered and said the wrong thing. You're like, wait a second. Glory, honor is going to come from Galilee? Seriously? You got that wrong, uh, uh, Isaiah. You, you sort of messed that one up uh, because there is a pecking order. And yeah, we might being, uh, have been taken over by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but Galilee is... That's the place where like, they don't even worship you, God. That's the place where they intermarry and mix with other people and they want to eradicate the Hebrew race. Nothing good comes from Galilee. You probably mean Jerusalem, right? That's what, that's what they're thinking. They're judging. They're making these judgments. It'd be like us um, hearing from a prophet like... And the most amazing good thing ever is going to come from Florence, South Carolina. Okay, that's what it would be like. Now, I've been to Florence, South Carolina. It's nice. There's some nice stores. But, you know, like, it's not what we're thinking. We're not thinking, like, oh, the, most, the best thing that, that ever happens is going to come from, like, that place. We think it'd come from a place of influence, a place like New York, a place like London, a place like San Francisco or wherever else, right? That's what we would think. And so this is the judgment that the Israelites are making upon Isaiah right now. They're, they're being destroyed. And even as they're being destroyed, they're going, Isaiah, nothing good comes from Galilee. You're way off. And Isaiah goes, no, no. Good things come from Galilee. And in fact, this is what he goes on to say. He goes, this is what's going to happen from Galilee. People walking in darkness have seen great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. So, Israelites, listening to this light, this, this, word, this word light in the Hebrew, it's, it's very literal. You're talking about literal light. Okay, so the brightness and all the rest. And, and in the culture at this time, light was incredibly powerful. It was, it was an important part of their life. Um, can we just talk about like how great light is for one second? Can we talk about it? It's, it's kind of important for us too, wouldn't you say? Yeah, probably. Come on, people. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> it moves at 186,000 miles per second. You guys learned that, right? In ninth grade, you learned it. That's, when it, that's how fast it moves. When, we, when Sean just did that thing with the lights, do you, you realize that light is so powerful and moving so fast that when he did that, we're not actually seeing light as it's present. We're seeing light that's a few fractions of a second old. Like That's how fast light is, is moving. When we go out tonight at 4 o'clock in the afternoon tonight and we look at the moon, that moon, that light we're seeing is old moon. Is, that's old light. That we're seeing light that's like a second and a half old. Like, like that's that's how powerful light is. That's how fast light is moving. When you look at stars, and you guys know this from ninth grade, when you look at stars, you're looking at light that's like 20, 30, maybe even like 100 years old because light is moving so incredibly fast and it's so incredibly powerful that, that you, you can't catch it. You can't catch it in its presence. It's big. Um, you guys know Stephen Hawking, the physicist, Stephen Hawking? He says that he knows that there is a beginning to the universe, because if there wasn't a beginning to the universe, if it just always was, 
then we would just be filled with light. Like we would just be overwhelmed with light. So the connotation of light here is like this all-powerful, like not able to grasp, like just so big and so overwhelming that there's, you can't really, you know, what do you do except be like, okay, I accept it, I take it. That's the kind of light being talked about right now in Isaiah. And it's literally translated, it's literal light. And so then Isaiah is saying from darkness, and he's saying it's from literal darkness, Okay. Now, here's the beauty of darkness and light, is even though they're translated literally, they are so powerful that we cannot help but equate them to life and death. Like, we absolutely have to equate them to life or death. So let's just say um, that we lost light, okay? We're looking up at the sun, the sun goes out. First off, we wouldn't know the sun goes out for eight minutes. So for eight minutes, if someone had gone out for eight minutes, we'd be seeing the old light, and we'd be walking around like, oh, I think I'm going to have lunch at Arby's today, or whatever. You know, like, you'd be doing something, and all of a sudden it would get dark, and as soon as it got dark, what would happen? The temperature would start to drop, and we'd settle in at right around negative 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Right around there. No more photosynthesis, right? So what we do? We'd start choking, because there's no more air, and then no more vitamin D. And vitamin D is incredibly important for our bones, and so we would start crumbling, Sounds like fun, right? Freezing, choking, crumbling. That's what would happen if there was darkness. And so what Isaiah is saying is he's saying when you're walking in darkness, you are dying. You are dying. You're literally dying. That's the way he's he's kind of framing this. He's going, you are crumbling and you are choking and you are freezing. And from this surprising place that you're judging comes the source of life, the thing that actually keeps you alive, that keeps you moving. That's what he's saying. And so he's talking to this group. Let's review. He's talking to this group in Israel. They're being taken over. They're worshiping this god Marduk, this Babylonian god, because they've been taken over by the Babylonians, who, this is interesting, right? Here's a fun little fact. Marduk was the astral god of light and dark. Okay, so Isaiah's using his words very carefully. He's using his words. This is not an accident that he's talking about light and darkness, right? And he's saying that this light, this dark, this, this light that's coming out of the darkness, this life-giving, overwhelming, surprising, like bigger than you can imagine light is this. And this is why we're all at church today. It's the wonderful counselor. It's the mighty God. It's the everlasting father. It is the prince of peace. That is the light. Now we have hindsight, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. It's really nice. So we know that this is Jesus Christ, right? This is pretty cool. So Jesus Christ is, is all these things. It means this is perfect love. It's perfect peace, perfect glory. It's greatness. It, it, it's like, it's shalom. It's that, it's that everything God intended for God's kingdom comes right now through this light, through Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's what it means. And so, uh, so Isaiah goes on and he goes, listen, you are going to have this perfect light. You're going to have life. You're going to have this perfect peace. You're going to have this perfect love. It's going to be there. There is a hope for you. There is a hope for us. How does Israel respond to it? How do they respond to this hope? Well, they have to wait a little while. They've got to wait like 700 years, in fact. It's a long time to wait. Um, most of us can't wait seven minutes. But anyway... It comes, right? It comes in the form of Jesus. And what do the Israelites do? How do they react to this light? What do they say about this light? Well, we get a really big clue with something that Jesus actually says. And it's in Luke chapter 7, verses 34. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It really is. It says this. This is Jesus talking. 
He says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Isaiah comes and he goes, there is a wonderful light, a life-giving light, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Instead of wonderful counselor, we get a glutton. Instead of prince of peace, drunkard. Instead of everlasting father, we get friend of tax collectors, which the modern day equivalent to a tax collector back then would be like saying, you are a friend of somebody who finances ISIS. Like it's that deep, like it's that big, it's that political. You are a friend of sinners. Now sinners, you know, we, we say, oh, I have sin, I have sin issues, and we do. But if you were a sinner in those days, uh, the Hebrew idea of sinning was you were abandoned by God. You hang out with people who are abandoned by God. Instead of everlasting father, you are a friend of people who love ISIS. Instead of the prince of peace, you hang out with people who are abandoned by God. Greatness was there, and it wasn't recognized. God was at work, and nobody saw it. There was light there was light, powerful, fast-moving, unable to grasp. Light was there, and people walked in the darkness. Of course. Because how does, how does light come in the form of a glutton? How does light come in the form of a drunkard? How does it come in the form of people who are friends with ISIS? How does light come in the form of somebody who hangs out with sinners? How does light come in the form of somebody who eats at Olive Garden? Like, how does light come in the form of somebody who's a bandwagon Yankee fan? How does light come in the form of somebody who doesn't believe the same views that I believe? Uh, how does light come in the form of somebody who worships differently than I do? How does light come in the form of somebody who doesn't look like me or make as much money as I do? How does light come in the form of somebody who maybe is, is poor and maybe I think is a little crazy? How does light come in the form of somebody I judge who I say, you are wrong? How does light come like that? How does it happen? And so we miss it. We miss it. We miss the light. And we're freezing. And we're choking. And our bones are crumbling. We're unable to see it. You know, we pray this Advent season. We wholeheartedly believe this Advent season. Come, Lord Jesus. Yesterday, when I heard about the assassination of two police officers, my first thought was, come, Lord Jesus. That's what my, my first thought was, because we believe that Jesus is coming back. And then I started to think, well, when he comes back, what am I going to say? Am I going to say, wow, there goes the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. My guess is I'm going to say, there goes like a glutton or a drunkard, or there goes some guy in the street asking me for money, or there goes... Somebody who I just don't agree with or somebody who looks different. I'm going to miss it. So what's the answer? How do we end this judgment so that we don't miss life-giving light? Where do we go from here? Christmas is coming, right? Christmas is coming. We excited? Thank you. I'm excited too. (laughs) Me and you. Um... I'm ex- I, like, I like watching my kids open gifts. Um, that part is like my favorite part. But uh, I will say this. There are times when we get gifts, maybe Christmas, maybe a different time, that it's, just, it's a little weird, right? Um, when, I, when I was 19, uh, I was in college, and I, uh, I sat on the couch and smoked a lot of weed and played video games. I was like 19. It was, I was like not in a great spot. And for Christmas, I got a book, um, Seven ha- Habits of Highly Effective People. <laughs> so... I got the book for Christmas, and, uh, and it's kind of a hard gift to accept. 
At 19, it was a bit of a hard gift to accept because what it meant was that the person who gave me the gift was saying, there's Jonathan smoking too much weed playing video games. Something's not right with him. Something's not right. I want to give this gift to Jonathan so that maybe he can open his eyes and see that there's something else going on. He's capable of more. There's something better. Maybe uh, you guys don't feel great about your bodies. Um, it's holiday season, we've been eating a little too much, maybe, and, uh, and we go home for Christmas, and then somebody in our family gets us a six-month gym membership, right? How do we feel? We're kind of like, wow, six-month gym, what are, they, what are they saying about me? What are they, you know, maybe there is some, maybe I'm not treating my body the way I should, I don't know. Um, I hope other people have been in this position, I think we have. There was a time when I we wanted to get a new apartment and we, didn't, we couldn't cover the broker fee. And so uh, we were asking somebody for a loan and this family member came back and said, no, we want to give you the broker fee as a gift. That's what we want to do. And, uh, and I didn't accept it right away. My first thought was, hmm, I wonder if this family member thinks I'm weak. We're like, huh, I wonder if this family member doesn't think I could take care of my own family or I wonder if they think that my job's not good enough or I wonder if they think I'm irresponsible. I don't know if we should accept this gift. I don't know. We accepted it. And if you've been over to our apartment, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one we got because of it. So it's a good, like it changed our lives. Like we accepted the gift. It changed our lives. But I, I almost didn't take it because I had this pride or I had something in the way or had judgment. What were other people thinking about me? And here comes this light. The light of life, this powerful, ever-present light that is perfect peace and perfect love and perfect everything. What is getting in the way of us accepting this gift? What's getting in the way of us saying, uh, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor? What's getting in the way of us not saying, there goes glutton, drunkard, friends with tax collectors? What is getting in the way of us accepting this gift? I think the bigger question is, what do we have to give up? What do we have to give up in order to accept this gift? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you have to give up pride. I got a ton of pride. And maybe you're like me, and there's something that's blocking you from accepting this gift of Christ, the light, this perfect peace, because there's this pride thing that's going on, and it's got you, and, and maybe it's the one thing that you need to give up in order to accept the light, that I need to give up in order to accept the light. Perhaps, um, perhaps there's an addiction I don't know what it means. You know, addiction to the internet, addiction to porn, addiction to busyness, addiction to money, addiction to success, whatever it might be. Maybe there is an addiction that stops you from seeing the light, that stops you from seeing this gift, this powerful, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. What do we have to give up? What kind of addiction do we have to give up? Maybe it's our worldviews. Maybe we have these, these really crazy social and political views. Maybe we have pretty even-killed social political views, but, but they're ours, and we hold them tightly, and everybody else is wrong, and people on Facebook, I'm going to debate you all day long and make 35 comment threads. That's what we do. And maybe we need to stop. Maybe we need to give up on our own social ideas or our political ideas. Maybe we need to listen. This is New York. This is the land of instant gratification. Maybe we need to give up our selfishness for selflessness. What do you have to give up? 
What is standing in the way of you receiving this gift of light, of receiving perfect peace and perfect love, of receiving shalom? What is standing in the way? What do we have to give up today? Here's the deal. You know, there were a few people, a couple people way back a couple thousand years ago with Jesus who, who saw Jesus as the Messiah, as the light, and they had to give up a lot. Their religion, their culture, their social status. Maybe that's the direction we need to go. I don't know. But when we leave here today, the question becomes, what do we have to give up in order that we can see perfect peace? What do we have to give up? And we do it because there's Jesus, right? And what is Jesus? Jesus is God incarnate. We pray every single week, God, you do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And that God comes down as a helpless child. You want to talk about the ultimate giving up? The ultimate humility? Ultimate humbleness. And then, and then that God suffers with us uh, you know, throughout our lives. And then that God, God humbles himself to the point of death. And, and then prays this prayer. God, if this is possible, I don't want to do this. I don't want to humble myself this much because it's too hard. It's hard to do that. And God says, no, it's going to happen. So humbles himself to death. So that we can receive the gift of light. Who do we judge Where's our pride? Are we humble? What's getting in the way of us seeing light? Don't be fooled by Galilee. Don't be fooled by it. Don't be fooled by gluttons and drunkards. Don't be fooled by the surprises and the crazy and unexpected and controversial ways that Jesus comes to bring peace to this world. Don't be fooled by it and get whatever is in your way out. And let's bring light. Let's see light in the most surprising and unexpected of places this holiday season. This is what N.T. Wright says, and we'll end with this. It says, Oh, come, let us adore him. And then with that adoration, opening up our eyes fresh to his way of doing things, putting into our minds and hearts a new vision of how things could be, let's celebrate the fact that the government is upon his shoulder and let us go out into the new year to face a much-heralded darkness with the news of a great and surprising light. Amen? Let's pray. God, um, there's so much in our way. There's so much that keeps us in darkness, so much that we can't see. And Lord, it's not, it just can be anything. And we pray that we would take a look at ourselves and that we would find the light and be the light that would guide us back to you, God. And Lord, when we stumble and we can't find it and when we refuse to see it and when you're standing right in front of us and we don't acknowledge you're there and when we're standing uh, in front of you and you go to hug us and we back away, Lord, we pray that your grace and mercy is sufficient. Lord, we pray that we'll find the light. In Jesus' name, amen.